Welcome to the Small Business Surgeon Podcast, the show where we dissect the businesses of top producers, examine their growth strategies, and share with you the bare bones of their success. I am your host, Samuel Smith, and I'm glad you're here. Let's operate. All right, I suppose uh, let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode one of the Small Business Surgeon. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, my guest today uh, is the right honorable Dustin Batson, the uh, stalwart of local business here in the Bryan community. Dustin, welcome. Thank you for having me. Dude, it's great to have you on this show. This is a little more serious than the shows you've done with us before. He is, uh, he's featured on a couple of the episodes of Live at the Lounge, but Dustin here is a, uh, he's a local uh, well-known entrepreneur. He is a uh, owner of several businesses. You've got uh, a few bars, and you just recently opened a cigar lounge, right? Yes, sir. So I can imagine 2020 was uh, pretty interesting from the uh, from the bar owner perspective. Tell us a little bit about the uh, the businesses you own first off. I own a, a cocktail bar and, and restaurant called the Downtown Elixir and Spirits Company. I have a speakeasy called Five Knocks, and I have a jazz club called Third Four Cantina. So you have three bars? Yes. And it's been 2020. Yes. <laughs> so I bet it's been uh, it's been somewhat of an interesting year. And before we get to the cigar lounge, tell us a little bit about your thoughts in uh, in February when you saw the, uh, the the Chinese fellas dropping dead in the street, and then in March when uh, when it came here and we we had to close. What what exactly was going through your head at that point in time? Well, at first it wasn't really a panic because everyone kept saying it was two weeks, and I was just like, okay, two weeks, whatever. And then the greatest April Fool's joke ever happened on April first, <laughs> and they said. By the way, we're still not at reopening, and uh, that's when panic kind of started setting because people don't realize that you still have to pay rent, you still have to pay utilities, you mm -hmm. still have to pay all these things, and I'm sitting there just watching the account just dwindle. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm probably going to put my foot in my mouth here when it comes. That's, that's okay. Just fully insert it. Uh, so <laughs> we got down to, like... <laughs> For, the, for those that don't know, uh, Dustin goes everywhere with Marie. Marie is his uh, little healer pup here. I'm not sure if she's on camera or not, but she is just behind our green screen uh, messing around. So we're, we're going to change the backgrounds out on Dustin and uh, we're going to play around with him like, like that. Like we could be on the moon or uh, we could be in the desert or wherever Kyle wants to put us. So anyway, go ahead and put your foot in your mouth, mate, because this, uh, this show is about getting down to the nuts and bolts. So of it. we had to pay the taxes from that four-week period that we were allowed to open back in June. And uh, then they closed us back down and they gave us like a three hour notice. Mm -hmm. I, rem I remember that. And so we had to pay the taxes from that four week period. Well, we didn't have enough money to pay rent and the taxes and everything else because we just got drained over the closure. And so I basically told the government, like, you know, F you. Like, oh, you can, you can say fuck on here. It's okay, okay. Uh, fuck you. <laughs> And uh, I was like, well, if they shut me down, in my head, I was like, well, I'm not going to pay the taxes until I get the money. And lo and behold, uh, they put a freeze on my account. Well, then the bank was like, hey, we can't pull any money out of this account to repay the loan. So if we don't pay it by this time, we're going to have to seize your assets. Ooh. So I was like, okay. Uh, so I called my GM and I was like, hey, we're opening Tuesday. And he goes, we're allowed to open? And I was like, no. And uh, he was just like, all right. And he's one of those fuck the government kind of guys too. Well, yeah. So yeah. we opened up and we actually... Got enough money to pay the back taxes and then uh, pay the bank and then we started doing well and we watched that account rise back up and then 
it was a big relief when the governor was like, hey, bars are allowed to open. And we're like, yay, we've been open this whole time. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> well, you know, kudos for uh, for standing up and for doing it right. I mean, I know I've, I've been in some of your, your places. And, yeah, I do like to support you, but with, with me not drinking anymore, it's, it's quite difficult. No, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but obviously you take all the, the correct precautions and you keep everything clean and, uh, and tidy and everything. How on earth did a guy like you, because uh, you've got, a very, very storied history. I don't know how much of it you want to share, but how, how did you get into being a business owner? What was the path you took that you, you, you decided one day, you know what, fuck it, I'm gonna do my own thing. I've got this business owner in my soul. Cause you started out in, uh, in the Marine Corps, didn't you? Yeah, uh, did eight years in the Marine Corps, got out, came here for college, and then uh, started getting into the bar business uh, just as a job while I was in college. And I never really wanted, I never set out to be like, I want to open my own bar. It was more of a, I got really passionate about bartending. Mm -hmm. And the kind of bartending I wanted to do was like craft cocktail bartending. And there was no place to really do that around here except for like maybe the Republic. Right, right. And you know, so. The, for those of you that don't know, the college station market is very much long necks and cowboy boots. There's not a whole lot of uh, uh, apparent craft cocktail uh, demand. However, you found different, didn't you? Yeah, uh, so no bank would give us a loan or anything like that because everybody was like, hey, this is not a good idea. <laughs> and so I sold my car, sold my motorcycle, and I lived on the upstairs of the bar when we signed the lease on a cot while we did all the construction ourselves because we couldn't do, we couldn't afford to pay anybody to do anything. And uh, yeah, and the day we opened the doors, we had $89 left in the account. And wow. we had no money to put back into it. So I had a business partner, he was my roommate in college. And we looked at each other and we're like, dude, if we don't kill it today, we're done. We're bankrupt before it even starts. And right. the day we opened the door, we had a line down the block to get in. You killed it. Yeah. You killed it. You slayed it. So tell us a little bit, because that uh, your business now is, is downtown Elixir. Mm -hmm. Now, that one was West End Elixir, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. That was up uh, close to the university on Northgate. Tell us a little bit about the, uh, the life cycle of West End Elixir and what went on there. So West End Elixir was doing good. Uh, it's just a lot of overhead just being in College Station in general, and especially on Northgate, and eventually... Me and my business partner just didn't see eye to eye on things, and we just kind of went our separate ways. Now, I try to avoid partnerships uh, for the most part um, because you know I have uh, I've had several of them that always kind of end up um, where one business partner feels like they're doing the majority of the work, or one business partner's core values want to take the company one way as opposed to the other business partner want to take them another way. What advice have you got for people now that would consider business partnerships? Is it something that you would consider and look at? Are there a certain set of criteria you look for in a partner? Or uh, I mean, I would definitely get all your paperwork in, in line rather than just kind of like we're buddies and let's just go into business together. I mean, that's a good way to like ruin a friendship. Mm -hmm. You know, my business partner's not a bad guy. He's a great guy, actually. And I still consider him a friend. We just, things just didn't work out. And so if you're going to go into business with somebody, it's actually probably best if you don't even know that person because that way there's no emotion attached to anything it's just that that's a that's a reasonable way to look at it i mean my my advice to to expand on that would be to make sure that your core values directly aligned with the guy that you were partnering with and um sometimes you know you you might have a guy that's got the the best idea in the world but if he doesn't like being on time and if he's not reliable and if he doesn't own his shit and if he doesn't do what he says he's going to do then you know he has no place as a business partner i've certainly run into that with partners in the well, past definitely have structured roles too that way there's no like um missing any kind of i don't know responsibility no you know, I, I hate that that was your responsibility you you fucked up you own it now 
Yeah, and having a guy, I mean, it, it took me many years to be able to own my mistakes and own my fuck-ups and be able to, you know, talk about them openly. But life is a lot better on the other side of that mm -hmm. when you actually own uh, what it is that you've done and what it is you've done wrong. So, uh, you know, you obviously had some kind of exit strategy on that bar. And then... Um, <laughs> Not really, actually. <laughs> I just kind of walked away uh, and then I opened Downtown Elixir and, uh, and I was... I, I mean, I just kind of put that in my rearview mirror and then... I mean, one day I just, I got a phone call. It's like, hey, Weston closed. And I was like, oh. So all the money, all the time, all the, essentially all the problems, you just you just wash your hands off and walk away? Uh, I wouldn't say I washed my hands off, but I wasn't like, hey, I'm not part of this anymore. But I definitely was like, okay, well, if you want to run it this way, then you run it this way. I'm going to go do this other thing. And Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And so uh, downtown Alexa was born. How do you like downtown, Brian, by the way? Because... Um, uh, Substantially better than College Station. Did, nothing against College Station. Um, There's a lot against College Station. <laughs> nothing I'm going to say publicly against College Station. However, um, I made the move from College Station to Bryan uh, earlier this year, and I've found a I've found a home down here. Uh, Dustin and I are uh, virtual neighbors. So we're about two blocks away uh, with our businesses, and um, yeah, I live in downtown Bryan too. I I. I would, but I, I, I'd like a garage. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm fairly well attached to my cars and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I have to have somewhere I can work on stuff. Otherwise, I'd do the, uh, the, the exact same thing uh, that you do and have the apartment. Uh, he has an apartment right across the street from his business. And, uh, but, dude, I love it down here. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's the best move I've ever made. So take us through um, opening up in downtown Bryan. What did that look like for downtown Elixir? Because that was a, a, a brand new twist on the West End concept. It was a, it was a similar concept, but a new location. And you're in a hotel as well, right? Yeah, so the, the space in the hotel, uh, the hotel originally had a bar and restaurant and it just didn't do well and it was draining money. So they just kind of got rid of it and then they had a space for lease. So how, how do you fail to operate a bar in a hotel? I mean, you've got a captive audience. <laughs> I don't know. No. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But uh, we uh, ended up leasing the space, and then I originally was going to call it Downtown Elixir, uh, or sorry, the Western Elixir Company at LaSalle Hotel. And then there was, you know, one of the another differences, another one of the differences that my partner and I had was he didn't want to call it West End in downtown because he was part of that, but he wasn't going to be part of this. And so I was like, all right, cool. So I just call it Downtown Elixir. And uh, I added the spirits thing because the LaSalle Hotel is supposed to be like haunted. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard, I've heard that. Have you ever seen anything over there? No. No? All right, because, yeah, there's uh, there's always the rumors about the LaSalle being haunted. It's uh, all the cleaning ladies. They're the ones that I always see it, but they're always, like, super superstitious anyway. Is that, is that some of the thing that runs through domestic stuff then, superstition? Or? Uh, no. <laughs> I don't want to get canceled, uh, but they're all, like, Hispanic, like, older Hispanic ladies, and, like, they, they're all the... You know, yeah, brouhaha yeah. and stuff like that. You you won't get cancelled. You may get beaten. You may get beaten with a flip flop. But they they do do not mess around. And our logo is a Ouija board, and they don't even like going like into the restaurant. I don't like Ouija boards. No, I I don't like them at all. I think we touched on that on uh, on a previous podcast. Um, no. So, so funny thing about that is when I was a, a general manager of a bar in Northgate, um, it was a Halloween. It was like a Sunday. We, I had like an after party where we opened the bar and we just like played around with the Ouija board. Well, the cleaning crew came every Monday and they were all older Hispanic people and they were like, you know, the typical Santeria kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Well, I get a phone call from the owner of the, the bar and he's like freaking out and he's like, dude, the 
cleaning crew quit. And I was like, why? And we had left the Ouija board out and they <laughs> left. They quit. They quit on the spot. And, yeah. and so he's like freaking out. And he was, I didn't realize this either. He was like super superstitious and was like, you got to get rid of that thing. I was like, all right, man, I'll throw it away. He's like, no, you got to like put it back in somebody's truck. So it's their problem or, or put a rock to it and then throw it in the in the river or the lake or something. Yeah. And I was no, like, yeah, yeah, I totally do that. I just threw it away. No, there's, there's <laughs> definitely a, a supposedly a legitimate way to dispose of Ouija boards. You know, my, my, my grandfather told me if I ever saw a Ouija board to run a mile and not stop until I got there. I was like, well, and he was adamant too. So, but um, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't quite subscribe to that. Maybe uh, I don't think the uh, the logo on your window is uh, is haunted. So I think we'll yeah. be all right. So you got a business um, downtown. You got a bar open. What does the trajectory of that bar look like? Because um, not too long after that, you uh, you explored the basement there in a the hotel and you found space for a, a speakeasy. So how did you go from uh, this sounds like a good idea to uh, holy shit, there's room for another bar in here? What, what so did that look like? They used that space for storage. It was in the basement, and I uh, just thought it'd be really cool. And our our rent at the hotel is actually based off sales. So ten percent of sales goes to rent. Mm-hmm. So the better we do, the better the hotel does. And so they were using that to like store just random stuff that they ended up throwing away anyway. And so I was like, hey, can I have this space? And then the owner of the hotel was like, well, and he starts thinking, he's like, well, that's more money. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, uh, I'll let you have the space. And so we built that out. And, uh, I mean, that's a pretty smart way to, uh, to get into a business and avoid the, uh, avoid the overhead costs. Yeah. Technically on paper, it's the same bar as downtown Luxor Experience, but okay. we've marketed as two different bars just because it's, on a different floor, and you have to know where how to get to the. And you knock five times, but yeah. you got the same staff. Um, yeah, same staff. You yeah. Cycle bartenders between the two, all that. But kind of different stuff. concepts, essentially. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I like the speakeasy theme, and uh, it's a smoking bar as well. You can smoke in there, right? Yes, I got grandfathered in after Brian passed the no smoking warnings. So cigarettes and cigars, or just cigars? Just cigars. Just cigars. Yeah, we we like cigars. We we don't like cigarettes so much. Uh, but we'll we'll get onto that in uh, in a minute. But uh, quite a wise move there, taking on the uh, the risk based on a percentage of sales, which means that uh, as as the uh, as COVID hit, maybe you weren't quite hit as hard with uh, a monthly rent bill. No, but at the same time, when we were killing it, it was kind of a hard pill to swallow <laughs> writing those giant checks. Yeah, yeah, I bet, I bet. So um, after. You got done with Five Knocks and got that going. We're, we're moving now into 2020 because Five Knocks is a successful little location. You've got like a stage there. You have uh, musicians coming through. And then what did you think? Like, maybe I'll just get some more musicians. I mean, how, how on earth do you go to taking over a a bar that has been closed for many years, mm-hmm. um, taking over and revitalizing an old name in, uh, in downtown Bryan at the Third Floor Cantina? So actually, I wasn't going to call it Third Floor Cantina, but basically I realized there was going to be a lot of backlash because that had so much history behind it that if I change the name, people are just going to get angry. So I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to keep the name and just change the concept of it. Because before it was just a live music venue. There was not really any kind of theme. Or, I, I played there many times uh, early in my career. So I really wanted to create a jazz club because I'm from New Orleans and, and so I just called it Third Floor Cantina Jazz Club. And how is the jazz going? Are you finding a lot of jazz musicians in the area? Or we're actually it- uh, putting together some house bands and we'll just rotate them out that are all local so we don't have to worry about sourcing from Houston or Austin anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, that opened, when did that open? January? It, was it New opened Year's New, Year's Day, yeah, New Year's Day or New Year's Eve of well, it was transitioning to 2020. So, I mean, bad omens there. And, <laughs> and so, yeah, we just went through our one-year anniversary. Probably because of that Ouija board. Probably, yeah. Um, so, cursed. 
<laughs> so after that terrible, terrible start to 2020, um, what did you do then? You decided to go all in with a, a cigar bar? Where's no, that, that I from? actually started releasing that in 2019 with the promise from the bank that they were going to give me a loan. Uh, uh, so I signed the lease on December 15, 2019. And, you know... So we, we were already doing that before yeah, COVID. There was like a waiting period for us for the money to hit. And then during that waiting period is when COVID happened and they basically yanked it, the mm -hmm. offer. And I was like, great, well, I'm paying all this money out of pocket right now and I now I have zero income. And you're still tied to a lease. I'm still tied to a lease. I'm paying $2,000 a month on this lease to keep it. And fortunately, 2019 was so financially successful for me. I had a bunch of money saved up. So I started, you know, I have to pay all my own personal bills and then I, then I have to pay $2,000 a month additional. And then mm -hmm. on top of that, I was paying out of my own pocket bills for certain aspects of each business because I was right. losing money and I want to drain that account. And so it got to the point where I was Ubering. I was an Uber driver. Damn. I mean, that's, that's, that's real talk right there. I mean, you cannot be, uh, you can't be ashamed or afraid of doing what it takes to, to make it in this uh, No, I mean, I'll, I'll do anything. I'll wash dishes, whatever. And even in the bars and restaurants now, I'll, I'll wash dishes, wait tables, cook, whatever. Whatever I'm required to do, I'll do. That's uh, that's pretty admirable. So Uber driving mm -hmm. helped to finance the Velvet Leaf cigar lounge. No, actually, uh, the day I called the landlord and said, hey, I just can't do this anymore. Like, mm -hmm. I, I got no more money. Um, my friend Kelly Enright, who owns the Tilts Pint, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, I helped him with you know starting the bar, and he he's never been in the bar business, so I gave him pointers and you know looked at his plans, and I was like, you should do this, this, and you've definitely got a healthy future as a bar consultant. <laughs> <laughs> so he was just like, oh, what's wrong? And I was like, I have to give up the scar shop and just whatever. And he was like, oh, you know that sucks, and blah blah blah. And we had a beer, and we just went our separate ways and the next day he called me he's like hey I talked to my wife and uh, we're going to give you the money to open the cigar shop obviously it's a loan so I pay right. back with interest right. and then he gets a percentage as well so I mean we unofficially partnered because you know there's he's not any kind of paperwork which is like a good safety net I guess like so that, that 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 whole business partner thing of making sure you write down all the paperwork so yeah. you just completely went and ignored uh, your own advice there <laughs> Uh, well, so we have an unofficial agreement. It's like he's not on in the LLC. Right. Yeah. But we have agreements that are legally binding between us. Does that I, make sense? I completely okay. understand. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit about that concept because you guys are over in downtown Bryan. There's another um, cigar company here in town, and they had a store in South College Station close uh, sometime in 2019. Did that not just set off an alarm bell did that not set up a warning or how did you figure out that there was enough market uh, share in downtown to support two cigar companies within the local economy well for one they're both in two different cities and secondly the the one here in downtown Bryan, i was going off of just pure foot traffic of 2019 you know during mm -hmm. the weekends i mean it's packed it's packed yeah it was yeah it was uh <laughs> That's why I've so, got an art gallery that nobody comes in. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it'll get it'll, it'll get it'll back. Come back. It'll yeah, come back for sure. Um, just like everybody freaks out when the market crashes, like it'll come back. Yeah, when people are fearful, it's time to be greedy. It's mm -hmm. time. That's why we open other businesses as this goes on. So the opportunity mm -hmm. opens up. I mean, you know, it's, that's super important that we we don't shy away from that. Um, so you figure there's a different demographic that's going to smoke downtown, or how does that work? No, I just think it's uh, 
I look at downtown Bryan as a whole. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm probably not a very good business person to interview because I don't really think of, in terms of money on anything. Like, Well, there's, there's different types of business people, and you are very much the visionary. Um, I could imagine you being incredibly successful, uh, even more so than you are, with a uh, partner on the backside that cleans up the mess, handles the money, and does the accounting, and you just go handle the vision. Um, I am quite similar in that visionary sense. I, I may not be quite as uh, risk-averse as you, um, but I'm very similar in that, let's go do it, let's make it, and let's, let's fix the rest of it as we go. Yeah, I kind of get an idea in my head, and I'm like, that would be really cool. And then, then I get fixated on it, and I just try to wiggle my way into making it work. Does that make right. sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've never opened a business like, that's going to just print money. I'm just like, oh, jazz club. I love jazz. Let's let's do that. And cigar shop. I love cigars. Let's do that. And uh, I created the Elixir, you know, brand with the Western Elixir starting, and then mm -hmm. downtown Elixir eventually. Just a, my love of bartending and creating craft cocktails and and whatnot. But what 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 you're failing to recognize here is that you are a natural problem solver. Um, over the course of my meetings with local business owners, one of the things I've figured out is. Uh, uh, the excuses stop people. You know, I'm afraid to hire somebody. I'm afraid to take this on because of the possible bad things that may happen. Um, I was talking to uh, a couple today that were wanting to uh, scale a business but were too afraid to lease a commercial kitchen. Uh, they wanted to build their own commercial kitchen but they didn't have the business to, come up to, to build one. And when we broke down all the numbers, the, uh, the kitchen itself... Um, taking on that $500 a week lease for the commercial kitchen spot would have allowed them to fill the orders they got to make uh, about three times the amount of income and profit that they're making right now. Mm -hmm. um, so had to break that down. And, and you are very, very capable of looking at something and instead of saying, I cannot, you say, right, how can I? And uh, I, I, see, I, I sincerely admire that about you. <laughs> No, thank you. Like no, no homo. I mean, I'm not going to reach over and touch your leg, but <laughs> you know, we've got we got guys for that. <laughs> so now you've got a cigar lounge. Um, when is the grand opening? That's pretty soon, isn't it? It's actually today, in, uh, in about an hour. Oh wow! All right, so uh, <laughs> Dustin taking care of business at the podcast, and then you're going to go scoot across to that. So I'm going to have to pop my head in mm -hmm. there and say hello, aren't I? All right, um, maybe we'll do a live from there. Maybe that'll be fun. We'll yeah. do a virtual tour of the cigar lounge. Uh, I, I could probably fit that in on the schedule. So what have you seen so far? Because I know you did a soft opening. Mm -hmm. um, we opened the day after Christmas, and we knew it was going to be slow. And we did that kind of intentionally, just so mm -hmm. if there's any kind of problems, we can roll with it. You know. And are you are you generating a lot of foot traffic so far, or has it been? Well, enough? we've been doing pretty well actually, and with how slow everything is, we've actually been. Some days the scar shop does better than the bar. Wow, wow! And they say never uh, work with children or animals. And uh, again, with Marie being around Marie. here, we've Marie. we've got a little of both. So she's uh, just no, it's 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 fine. We we love her, and uh, we could even put some penguins up on the green screen <laughs> behind us there to uh, to you know make it look like we're uh, we're engaging with animals and we love them. All right, Kyle, that's probably enough uh, probably enough penguins for now, mate. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's the fun of having a green screen. We can uh, we can pretty much do whatever we want for the uh, for the podcast. So now you kind of uh, 
do a lot in the local community as well, don't you? You're, you're very well known for uh, giving shit away and uh, giving away your time and working with uh, working with other people in the community to raise money. Tell us a little bit about um, how that worked out this year, starting with a, uh, with a with a car wash concept. Yeah, so the majority of our staff are all males, and then so that's not what we did. We were like, let's do a car wash, and then we just started being outrageous with the costumes and because it was, it's and, quite hot here in texas yeah. during the summer it was it was in august i mean it was like <laughs> over 100 degrees and so everyone just kind of donned a speedo and we just started washing cars and we started a thing to where uh, any business in downtown Bryan can pull from this fund uh that way if you know we wanted to structure it to where we don't just blindly or we say we the fund didn't just blindly give money to a business. Like right. you would submit a bill, but like, I can't afford this bill. And then they would pay that bill. Mm-hmm. So that way it's not just like this person gets this much, this person gets right. this much and they can kind of do whatever they want with it. And, uh, so we put it out there and man, we washed like 80 cars. We washed a horse. We washed a bunch <laughs> of dogs. How you, I, I was about to ask how you wash a horse, but I think the answer is carefully, isn't it? Yeah. Don't get behind it. <laughs> God. And uh, so, how much money did you all end up raising for for downtown? Uh, with the Venmo and cash, and, and I mean, people were still donating even after the car wash. So all together, it was close to ten thousand dollars. Wow! And uh, that obviously went a long way to paying uh, a lot of bills for some people. I mean, you know, a two hundred dollar utility bill can uh, that ten thousand dollars can go a long way. Yeah. So we submitted all that all those funds to the, the Downtown Bryan Association, which I think it's called like the Destination Bryan now mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. So they're the ones handling the funds, and then we did a calendar shoot with all of our staff. What? So as popular as this was, so um, we went out there because we're we're a downtown business as well. We went out there and um, we shot a a video mm-hmm. for these guys, and we put it up on the uh, on the old Facebook there with uh, with my guys at Texas Media Foundry and. Uh, I think we might have put it to some stripper music, maybe, <laughs> and maybe a few slow mo shots with the water hose going. Yeah, there. Um, and. So that that was pretty well received because you turned that into a calendar, didn't you? Uh, yeah, somebody just was like, hey, you should do a calendar. I'm like, all right. And so we did a calendar and then we uh, got them printed and we sold like 400 calendars in like two weeks. And so that then... Like all over the world too. People were calling me and like, hey, I'm in you know Georgia, I'm in California, I'm in Michigan. Can you send me a calendar? And I was like, all right. So... It was like a four-day span where I had to go just all day, every day. I was just putting stamps on envelopes and sending them off. That's really, really cool. So you not only are you a bar owner and a, a car wash uh, manganate, you are a uh, you're a model as well, a calendar model. Yeah, February, the shortest month of the year, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there, but your your picture was actually uh, it actually took some bringing together because I I seem to remember reading there was a little bit of a bet behind it and. Uh, so the photographer was like, I can only do it on Sunday, and we were going to do it at Third Floor Cantina, and I was like, we're open during that time that you can mm-hmm. do it. And she goes, if you can't do it today, then I can't do it. And I was like, all right. So I had to get naked on stage, so I went around to every table that was there, and I was like, hey, guys, I'm going to get naked on stage. If you guys want to leave, I, I get it. And they're mm-hmm. like, no, we want to stay. And I was like, okay. So this this guy gets naked on on stage, and then you're laying on stage with a bear. How did yeah, you manage to pull that off? A bear rug. Uh, it wasn't. Who, a bear. who has a bear rug? Uh, so the photographer uh, Reagan Manzira, um, shout out. Uh, she uh, put a thing on Facebook. It's like who who has a bear rug? And I guess some lawyer was like, Hey, I got a bear rug. And 
He's like, what do you need it for? And she's like, you'll see. And Na- then- <laughs> for a naked Dustin to lay on. I mean, do you think if he'd have known that that's what, what it was going to be used for, he would have uh, offered his rug? I don't know. Probably not, <laughs> to be honest. I can only imagine the dry cleaning bill. Yeah. So how, do you, how do you get a, a bear washed? Carefully. Yeah. Same as you wash a horse. So, <laughs> yeah, and uh, I like I said, I am really looking forward to uh, spending a little more time at the Velvet Leaf. I am uh, a little bit of a cigar smoker myself. Um, sorry, Mom. Yeah, but um, tell us um, the story of how the Velvet Leaf got started, because I know you got the, the partner in there now. Um, I know it was something that, uh, that had been a, a passion project of yours. How do you go about starting a cigar bar? Uh, so I actually didn't know anything about um, starting a cigar business. Like, I, you know, I studied cigars and, you know, just personally, like I knew it. As more as a consumer side a of things? A consumer kind of thing. And yeah. I just had like this vision in my head. I'm like, that would be really cool in downtown. And I'm just trying to build up downtown as a whole because that's better for everybody. Like, oh, yeah. if you can make downtown Bryan a destination spot, just statistically speaking, you're going to get business. Yes, so, no doubt. So, you know, I was just trying to venture outside of bars and restaurants and a cigar. And I, I smoke cigars all the time. So uh, I got a lot of advice from uh, the other cigar shop in town owner, uh, Colton Rawls. Shout out to you, too. Um, and he helped me, you know, with some things I need to look out for and whatnot. So what wh- what are some things you need to look out for with with any kind of retail business. I mean, because this is your first, you you do bars, which is a, you know, it's a consumable product, but the, the cigar retail industry is uh, a little bit different. What what were some of the, the pitfalls that you managed to avoid or, or some of the problems you walked into head first? Well, just with starting any business, uh, I didn't have all my boxes checked. Like I didn't have the funding. I just kind of jumped head first into like, I'm going to sign this lease and then we're going to do it later. Imperfect action is, I'm definitely is, a, you know. an impulsive person when it comes to that kind of stuff. I'm like, we'll make it work somehow. And right. And I don't know how people think about, like, projection and sending good vibes out in the universe, but I'm always like, a, we'll, we'll, we'll get it done. We'll make it work. And so far it's worked. I don't know. I'm probably going to get bit in the ass one day. <laughs> a lot of that has to do with mindset. How do you manage to stay positive and, and keep focused on the task in hand? Because I know through talking to people, uh, both on the podcast and, and, and off of it, I know mindset and the uh, the overcoming of fear and getting around obstacles can be a, a big deal. Did, did did anything to do with military have anything to do with that to instill some discipline in you? I mean, maybe I don't look at it as that, but it it could subconsciously. But uh, there's a lot of people. Well, so I was a squad leader in the infantry in the Marine Corps, and I went to Iraq and Afghanistan. And so there's no like I can't do this kind of stuff. Like you you have to you have to get it done. You have people's lives on the line, and now you have people's livelihoods on the line. So. I guess maybe kind of translates, but yeah, that, that absolutely translates. I mean, one of the best, um, one of the best business management books that's been released in the last few years has been uh, Extreme Ownership. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you read that one? No. It's uh, it's by Jocko Willink and Leif Babbitt, and they were both um, they were both SEAL team uh, leaders mm-hmm. in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, and they go and they they tell their stories of leadership. So I can see why um, after having that Marine training, uh, the lead, the squad leader training, that I can see why you're the way you are. Um, you're really not afraid that you're not getting shot at. I mean, the, the worst thing that can happen is literally we're just going to lose a little bit of money here and we'll figure it out as we go. So, uh, yeah, that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. What's the biggest mistake 
that you feel like you've made in the business world since you started uh, all the way back at West End? What's, what's your biggest mistake, what's your, maybe your biggest regret that you would do differently uh, this time around? Ooh, uh, Ooh, so many to choose from. Right, yeah. <laughs> so I definitely, like I said, I'm very impulsive, so I'll make a lot of brash decisions and then people have to like kind of clean up my mess. Mm -hmm. So I wish I would just be a little bit more calculating when it comes to stuff. And it always ends up being like well received, but like the the building out five knocks. Right. You know, or when we opened downtown or third floor cantina, like I was just so focused on getting it and how I wanted it done and everything else like that. I didn't bother hiring anybody. And I was like two days before, like shit. So so you had no staff. No you staff. Were just, I was pulling people over business. And every, it, it was New Year's, and so all the locations were crazy busy, mm -hmm. and everyone was super short staffed because I had to spread everyone so thin. You know, I just, I don't, I don't know. I just, I get kind of just fixated, and I don't think about like the peripheral stuff. So you need you need the guy that's uh, you need the guy that's calm in the background doing the numbers and, and mm -hmm. helping with the the scheduling. So uh, yeah, that's um, that's really something. If you are starting to small business be sure and uh, make sure you've got some employees on opening day <laughs> good job it was literally like two days before we're like okay well if you're not working there today you're we're gonna work over there and then all no, hands on deck but you did most of the build on that yourself as well because yeah. i remember going up there um maybe six six or eight weeks before you uh, open and you were building all the bar tops and all the cabinets mm. and everything else i got to check it out uh before then which was really cool so do you find that saves you money or do you more build stuff as a passion project? Because for me, um, and I, as a business owner, I shouldn't do this. Uh, it, it's not great business, but I grew up in construction. So we are, the reason there's a green screen behind us is because uh, we're remodeling the office right now um, and I'm doing it in stages. And uh, I enjoy projects i enjoy working on stuff but when i look at my business owner tasks as well this is a ten dollar an hour task and this is a hundred dollar an hour task and this is a thousand dollar an hour task i know i'm taking away from those hundred thousand dollar an hour tasks to do construction i enjoy construction i find it very relaxing mm -hmm. uh, i like to do it on a weekend when the guys aren't around i, I enjoy putting up sheetrock i enjoy taping and floating i enjoy painting uh, i find it very therapeutic do you do that to uh, because you enjoy construction and you feel like you've got a, a pride of ownership in a place or do you do it because you're trying to save money and you, you still think that that's that's the way to do it so it started off when we were opening western elixir uh, necessity because we had one project we brought this contractor out to do and he was going to charge us like some of like something like seven thousand dollars something like that to do this one like pretty trivial task mm -hmm. and we're like what we're, like, we're just going to do it ourselves and it cost us like 90 bucks of material and like took us like six hours. And so we're like, wow, we just started doing everything else. We're in the wrong business, huh? right? We need to be contractors. And uh, so we just started doing everything else on our own. And eventually just kind of, you know, copy pasted it to all the other places. And also like if something, if somebody does something construction wise and I don't like it, it's going to bother me to the day it changes or I die. It's just, uh, yeah, I just, I'll look at it all the time and and I just can't do that to my mental health. No, I have to make sure it's done the way I want it to be done in I, my head. Uh huh. I'm the same way. As we walk out of here, I'll show you in the uh, in the art gallery. I remodeled the uh, front 350 square feet of the office to be uh, an art gallery, which uh, we ended up calling Well Hung, which I, I thought was quite funny. Um, but I uh, I was I was painting, and uh, my alarm went off, and I had to go uh, and. Um, 
pick up my kids because it was late. And I handed the paintbrush to one of the guys that works for me. I said, hey, knock this out real quick, would you? And then just uh, put it up. And boy, in that three feet of space, I've got blue meeting white, and there's white on the blue, and there's blue on the white. And I'm just like, it irritates me every time I, I go past it. And eventually I will break the brushes out. So I, I know exactly what you mean, but I do my remodels for uh, therapy. I, I enjoy, and it's like being a man and having a tree to pee on. You know, there's something about being able to walk out in the backyard and take a pee at night and pee on a tree and look at the stars and go, this is mine, mm -hmm. I own this, I paid for it. And it's the same way with uh, the art gallery and with the office as we're moving through and the podcast studio and all this. It's mine, I made it. Um, we paid for it, we did it, uh, and it's mine here. So do you have that same feeling with your bars? Is that you can not pee all over the barn, that's, that's the wrong kind of equation. But you look at it and you say, this is mine, and it's, it's got your stamp on it. I mean, you're, you're yeah, a very no. unique individual. Yeah. No. Uh, there's certain things I'll never do ever again, like drywall or wallpaper. But <laughs> You don't like drywall, huh? Uh, no. No? no. Uh, I'll do anything else, but I will never do drywall again. I told you you could call me, you know, and I never got that call. I yeah. would call, I, I, again, I We enjoy. just paid somebody to do it. Uh, <laughs> That was like the one thing where it's like, no, we're not doing that. That's that's probably the uh, probably the best uh, best way to do it. So clearly, drywall and all that stuff led you to uh, led you to know that you didn't want a career in construction. Um, you know, and how do you go from Marine Corps infantry to A and M to bartending to craft cocktails? What was the what was the thought process there? Was it something you always knew you wanted to do? You had a passion for drink, or did you just? Uh, no, I got a job as a Door guy, um, I was like bouncer because you know it's a lot better shape back then. And I was just say you don't look, you look quite cuddly. Yeah. You don't look terribly fierce. Yeah. Well, I was, I was pretty fierce back then. <laughs> and uh, so I got a job as a door guy, and then one day the bar bag didn't show up for work, and they're like, "Hey, you're gonna be a bar bag." And I was like, "I've never even been behind a bar before." Dude, it's so funny because I've known you forever. I couldn't even imagine you in a fight. But I mean, obviously you must have been able to fight being a squad leader in the Marines. But I know you from such a different time in your life. I couldn't even imagine you in a fight. So you... I'm not an aggressive. I've never been a really aggressive guy. So I'm always a de-escalator. But I've been in my fair share of, of I mean, bar you're, fights. You're, you're more like a fuck around and find out kind of guy, aren't you? You're like, really, if, if you really don't want to do this, let's let's go and peacefully and move along. I mean, yeah. I mean, I have been in a. Uh, a pretty well-known locally hand-to-hand -hand combat situation. So, so do you do you want to touch on that? Nah. I'm, I'm <laughs> All right, let's let's move, let's move on from that. <laughs> um. So yeah, they made me a bar back, and then. There's a place called Daisy Dukes, and all the girls oh, get, yeah, were there. Okay. There were like these 19-year-old. College gonna, girls. College girls, yeah. That, and that may or may not have had fake IDs. Half the time, well, I'm talking about the the, the bartenders. Oh, the okay, yeah, yeah. And half the time, they weren't even in the building. They were like, we're going to recruit people to come in, and they'd just be out drinking. And so I had to be behind the bar, and so people were coming up to me and were like, hey, are you a, are you a bartender? And I'd just be like, no, but what do you want? And so I had to learn how to make whiskey cokes and vodka sprites and Bud Lights. And but that, that's the kind of, because I was a bartender too, uh, just between kind of, high school, college, and getting my first real job, my, like, professional job, I, I did my first, first share of bartending. But in England, like, the cocktails we've got are the exact cocktails you listed. Mm -hmm. You've got whiskey and Coke, you've got vodka and orange, you've got... Uh, the names are in them. You mm -hmm. don't have to wear it. I don't know what's in a Manhattan. I don't know what's in a... <laughs> well, the, <laughs> no the, the thing was, this cowboy came up, and he was, like, in an old-fashioned. And I was, like, after, like, a few weeks of pseudo-bartending, 
I was like, I don't know how to make that. He's I like, don't know what's in an old fashioned. I, mean, I, know, I know how to drink one. Yeah, it's it's pretty simple drink, but every bartender should know it. But I didn't know it because I wasn't a bartender, and I'm gonna have to explain to this guy. Like, look, I'm just a bar back, and I don't know where the girls are. So I was like, I was embarrassed, and so I kind of felt like shame. So I went home after that experience, and I YouTube how to make an old fashioned. And then paranoia set in, and I was like, oh, shit, I better learn how to make a martini just in case that now happens. You, and you have, that led you to make your own YouTube channel, didn't it? Yes. I the Elixir Company. totally forgot about that. And uh, Dustin and I had talked last time I was at his cigar lounge about me helping him with uh, SEO on that YouTube channel, and I completely forgot. So I apologize for that. I will get to uh, looking at that. Tell us about the YouTube channel. What's it called? It's called The Elixir Company, and uh, it's just how to make certain drinks and... And whatnot, so that way anybody that has my experience can just go in there and learn how to make a Vucare or a Ramos Gin Fizz, and eventually we're just going to keep adding to it and hopefully have you know hundreds of drinks on there. That that's a really neat concept. Is uh, so putting together a YouTube channel specifically for uh, mixology instructions, mm -hmm. and uh, I like that. So that is uh, what's the name of that channel one more time? The Elixir Company. E L I X I R. E-L-I-X-I-R. Go look that up on YouTube if you are struggling with how to make drinks. Uh, it could be good for your home cocktail parties too. I uh, Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. So you look up on YouTube, I'm going to learn to make drinks, and then what happens? Uh, because I can't imagine there's uh, too much demand for martinis over at Daisy yeah. Dukes. But there was, so it became an obsession. I started learning how to make every drink I couldn't even think of or just heard about. Uh, you want to be like uh, Alex Trebek, be able to answer all the questions. Yeah, so uh, just started reading books and watching YouTube and and you can learn anything off YouTube. I mean, it's like YouTube University. I, I love it. I mean, that that's that's how I learn half the stuff I learn is off the internet, mm -hmm. is, is going on YouTube and, and finding stuff to follow. So uh, you uh, you followed along on YouTube and made, made some drinks, eh? Yeah, and then, uh, so the old style bartending, the whiskey cokes, the vodka sprites, mm -hmm. the popping beers, that just got really stale to me, and I uh, wanted to create a cocktail bar, and like I said earlier, um, nobody was, everybody was like, not going to happen, that's just... Well, you know, it's, again, it's the, the whiskey coke and the, the bottle top popping mm -hmm. kind of crowd on Northgate, I mean, that's not a slight against Northgate, that is what the demographic of the drinkers that attend A&M University are kind of looking for. Um, you don't find a lot of college age and young uh, cowboys looking to drink martinis and old fashions. And um, one of the things though in this town that you seem to have tapped into really, really well, um, and why it probably didn't work as well on Northgate as you might have thought, but one of the things in this town is there is a huge market for 28 to 45 year olds that is completely untapped when it comes to uh, adult recreation. Uh, the dr the drinking side of things. And I think you've done a phenomenal job of recognizing that and just creating three different concepts that all appeal to a market that is looking to spend money with, you know, this is a college town. Let's, let's not beat around it. The university powers the economy here, but there's a bunch of adults that want to have adult interaction away from the college kids. I think you've done a really well, good job. Look at the culture in the last five or six years since we've opened West End. There's, cocktail bars popping up everywhere everywhere yeah and so like the drinking culture is starting to change and people aren't just trying to get you know as wasted as possible for the least amount of money on Northgate anymore maybe but maybe <laughs> like the kids are not as much yeah <laughs> the kids are I remember go. I remember going out to uh, to Harry's when I was uh, 22 23 and they had 25 cent shots like yeah 
I mean, and you'd go and you'd buy eight of them. And Two dollars. Yeah, uh, but that that was, I mean, that was a thing back then. And I I couldn't imagine drinking that amount of liquor now. Uh, but everywhere on Northgate, 50-cent shots were common. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was in 2002, 2003. So it's nice to see the drinking culture uh, evolve somewhat and, uh, and, and get a little bit more uh, grown up. Because I grew up in, uh, in England when um, lad culture was becoming popular and um, binge drinking was, uh, it was the norm. And the more you could drink was more of a sign of how, how masculine you were and how much you could hold your liquor and how much alcohol you could drink. Um, you know, so it's nice to see stuff moving away from, from, uh, from that kind of culture. And uh, maybe, the, uh, maybe the profit margins are a little better. It must be hard to make a, a profit on 50 cent shots. All right. I know that for now. Those are pretty much like loss leaders though. Uh, there's certain things that we don't make money on, like the food of our elixir. If we break even on the food, and I also include labor because we pay our, our cooks very well, but I'm also a big proponent that you get what you pay for. Absolutely. But we pay our cooks probably way better than 90% of places in town. But if we just break even on the food cost and kitchen labor, mm-hmm. then I consider it a good month. But normally we lose money, but we make so much money off the bar. Right, because you're, you're bringing people in and they're dining and they're buying two drinks each mm-hmm. over the course of their meal. And all of our food is made from absolute scratch. And so there's certain corners I could cut and actually make the kitchen profitable, but it's just not worth it, in my opinion. No, you don't You don't want to get away from that, though, because, I mean, you've got uh, all locally sourced foods. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the highest quality stuff, and you, you've got people that earn a living wage working in your kitchen. And, you know, that's what I was going back to uh, business owners and core values earlier on in the show. If, if those are your core values, uh, you can make profit by using those to draw clients in, and by all means, stick to those core values. Yeah, and I also, even my bartenders, I pay them hourly on top of tips, whereas most people just pay them $2 an hour, and and, and we actually have a test. It's 200 questions, and the higher you score on that test is the more we pay you an hour because it's, it's more of an incentive for you to, to learn all the, the knowledge and, and all the recipes and everything else like that. And that, that's how he gets clicks on his YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but they, we, we want to just incentivize people to be better at their job and not just pay minimum and expect minimum work. No, and uh, that's one of the things that I've realized, again, as a business owner is, um, you know, this is an old phrase that uh, my boss at the nursery, uh, I used to work in a garden center, plant nursery when I was 14, and he always would tell me, Sammy, if you pay peanuts, you'll get monkeys. And uh, I'm inclined to believe him now. You know, the the more you pay, uh, the higher the knowledge base and the higher the skill set of the employees. And uh, when I go back through and look, would I rather a $7 or a minimum wage uh, employee or would I rather a guy with a skill set and a knowledge base and I'm paying double that? Mm -hmm. Um, It's always the $15 an hour guy because the productivity is there and everything else. And uh, by doing what you do, not only do you give a living wage to bartenders, you get the cream of the crop for the bartenders that are available locally. And the people that I have have been with me for years and years. I know they don't. Especially in this town, turnover is so high. It is, yeah, it's a very transient market, though. I mean, so, people come and go. With yeah, the but we, we, we have people that have worked for us for five-plus years still working for us since day one. That's outstanding. Must be a good place to work, right? hope so. <laughs> 
All right, well, we are about out of time for today's episode of The Small Business Surgeon. Um, real quick, though, before we get out of here, uh, Dustin, tell us just the uh, one more time a little bit about each of your now four establishments that you've got going on. So the first one being uh, Downtown Elixir. We have Downtown Elixir and Spirits Company. I know it's a long name, but it's a craft cocktail bar. We have 113 cocktails on the menu, and we have a Cajun infusion gourmet-style uh restaurant attached to it um we also have five knock speakeasy which is a prohibition era themed speakeasy it's in the basement of the solid hotel uh, you have to go down there and it's so fun fact it's actually not even called five knocks as people just start calling that because you had to knock five times oh. we never actually named it and then um, so that one is it, that's grandfathered in for cigar smoking so that is. ties over to the yeah. you could you could you could pick up cigars at one location and walk across the street to the other, right? You can, or we sell cigars on there as well. Okay. Um, then we have Third Floor Cantina, which is the jazz club. Um, we're open six days a week. Mondays we have open mic. Tuesday we have stamp comedy. Wednesdays uh, live jazz. Thursdays burlesque. We have a burlesque troupe that comes what? from Austin. <laughs> Friday and Saturday also live jazz. Um, and then it's no cover unless it's like some super special event. And then we have the Velvet Leaf Scar Lounge, which is a Scar Lounge. It's BYOB, so if you want to bring your own alcohol, you can. But uh, we're not a bar there. It's just a cigar shop. All right, so a massive thank you to Dustin Batson for coming and hanging out with us uh, today, guys. You can check him out on social media. You can find him on Facebook as uh, Bruce Batson, or you can find him on YouTube as uh, The Elixir Company, and that's E-L. I-X-I-R. Uh, go check out that channel. Uh, for those of you listening online, please uh, go ahead and join us at the Small Business Surgeon page on Facebook. You can find our group there, The Clinic, where we will continue uh, the discussion over the course of the week. And if you're local, jump into the Facebook group, BCS Business Owners and Entrepreneurs, and be a part of that too. All right, that's it from us for this episode. Again, thank you, Dustin, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, and uh, dude, best of luck with all of it, especially, uh, especially the Velvet Leaf. I'm a huge fan of what you're doing in downtown Bryan. So thank you very much. All right, you'll be good. Stay safe and we will see you on another episode of the Small Business Surgeon same time next week. Have a good one. Bye-bye. This episode of the Small Business Surgeon podcast has been brought to you by the Well Hung Art Gallery, professionally mounting since 2020. Be sure to listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your silly podcasts. Take care and have yourselves a wonderful day.